Welcome to The Gathering Pod, the audio version of my weekly gathering room broadcast. I'm Martha Beck. And today, I want to talk to you about something uh, that most people feel very nervous about. When I first encountered it myself, I was very nervous about it. And I call it the void. And let me talk to you about it. If you are in, are, have an interest in things spiritual, and why else would you be here in the gathering room? It is an overtly spiritual space, right? You may have had some sort of practice like centering prayer or meditation or um, any one of a number of different types of contemplative practice. And all of these, as they say in Asia, are a thousand paths up the mountain to the same peak. And if you spend a lot of time contemplating, what will happen to you, I think, what they say happens to everyone and what certainly happened to me, is there comes a moment when you are face to face with nothingness. And I remember the first time this happened to me, I was meditating and like like everything seemed to disappear from meaning and suddenly everything was empty and vacant and it was terrifying. It was like T.S. Eliot's poem, um, the, the wasteland, the, the hollow men, the endless gray expanse of a terrible, terrible nothingness. It was horrible and it depressed me and it scared me. And I think that's how most people initially see or think of things when you say the word the void. You know, Friedrich Nietzsche, the, the German philosopher, said, if you stare long enough into the abyss, the abyss stares back at you. And he knew what he was talking about because he went completely crazy after he was, he was really smart. He was like a full professor at 24, but at 44, he decided that he had created the world and he ordered the German emperor to go to Rome to be shot. Let's see what else. He said he was crucified at length by German doctors. Yeah, he had a lot of interesting things come back to the void from him. So, you know, take it from Friedrich, the void is a scary place. But I still, even after that first experience of just kind of like, ah, everything's empty, I still felt this compulsion to see through what looks like a scary and, and difficult reality to something possibly more benevolent on the other side. I was very motivated by my suffering, so I kept meditating. And then one day, everything went, instead of going dark, suddenly everything sort of started to pixelate and um, like my surroundings started to look like they were quilted and then tiny little flecks and then just light. And I was in the middle of it going, oh God, that's weird. I rubbed my eyes and it looked again, it was still the same. I thought, that's strange. And I came back from it and I read about it in different books on meditation. And it said, yeah, that happens. You, you encounter the void, there it is. Then another time, um, I had a very strange impulse. It was almost like, um, I don't wanna say I heard a voice, it wasn't a voice. I know I'm, I'm gonna sound completely mentally ill on this broadcast and if I, I respectfully and lovingly really don't care. <laughs> You're not wrong. If you think I'm crazy, you're not wrong, but I'm not going to hurt anybody. Anyway, um, I felt like I should go sit in the bathtub, not with water, just with towels. So I put towels in the bathtub and I thought, why am I getting into the bathtub? Um, I got into the bathtub. I had white towels on a white tub with some white tile. 
And then as I sat there, everything started to get brighter and brighter and brighter. Like the walls started to see, like emanate light instead of just being reflective. And the bathtub did everything. And it went into that white space again. Only this time my whole body disappeared into it. And if I hadn't, I, I, if I hadn't been in the bathtub with my hands on the sides, I could feel my hands on the side of the bathtub, right? So even though I couldn't see anything, if you've ever done a virtual reality um, goggles mask thing, it's very, very cool. Have you done it? It's wonderful. You should go online and Google the, this older woman who has a virtual reality roller coaster ride while sitting in a waiting room chair in a hospital. And it's so funny because she's as she's got you put the goggles on and if you've never seen it before it's very very cool because you look around and everything is completely lifelike it's all projected and there's you look down and there's no body there's just an observer looking down and you can see as clearly through your body as you can see uh, across what appears to be a meadow or whatever. And so this woman in the waiting room, she is, her kids give her a virtual reality goggles experience and she's on a roller coaster. So she's just sitting in a chair and she goes up and she's like, oh, this is nice. This is lovely. Cause it really, it's very convincing. You feel like you're there. And then, you know, because the roller coaster is going up, click, 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 click. And then she gets to the top and she's like, oh, really high. And then she just goes, whoa, what? And she does the full roller coaster experience. Ah! She's like, we've got one leg up pushing against the roller coaster. And she's just sitting in a chair with her, her family laughing hysterically <laughs> around her so much that the camera jiggles. So um, it's, it's very convincing. And I'm going to get back to that in a minute. It's very, because what happened to me in the bathtub made me realize that it's only something in our perception that is seeing something solid in the first place. Like we're all wearing a common set of virtual reality goggles. We all see through these physical bodies that have eyes that work a certain way. And we have a psyche that apparently projects different objects around us. And so when the, when, after I'd been sitting in the bathtub four or five minutes, and it felt very jolly this time. I wasn't afraid because it had happened a few times before already that things just disappeared. And I was like, okay, this is really interesting. And the, the light was so intense. And then it went away and, and, and then it, I felt inside my chest something saying, now you know what you are, go play with your friends. Like the purpose of your life is to go play with your friends. And I felt this immense joy and I, went and found some friends and I played with them. <laughs> and then after that happened, um, and especially when I was writing um, my last book, the, the Way of Integrity, look at this. Thanks to Stephanie Chandler for making a tiny, tiny little copy of my book on a necklace that I can wear. It's so fun. I love tiny things. So thank you. Um, she, I spoke at the Nonfiction Writers Conference, and you should go see Stephanie's conference. It's great. Anyway, while I was writing this book, I was reading the Divine Comedy over and over and over. And when I got to the last part of it, which is where Dante's writing about paradise, um, I've mentioned many times before on this broadcast that he describes the reality of paradise pretty much exactly the way 
uh, the most austere version of quantum mechanics describes it. And I'm not just like, I'm not just taking this off a bubblegum wrapper. I really looked into it. Everything is moving at the speed of light, so there is no time. There's also no location. He's in one place, but he's also every place. Um, he seems to be moving, but he's not moving at all. But when he stops moving, he's moving at the speed of light. So, And he's saying all these things and talking about them in the 14th century. So he wasn't like reading science and, and getting it from that. But I kept reading this and like trying to understand his metaphors. And then I would med meditate in the mornings. And holy smokes, there were times when this figure ground reversal started to happen. Like if you've ever seen um, one of those uh, posters that was, were really popular in the 1990s where there were just dots. But if you looked at it a certain way, you'd see like dolphins or whatever was in there. Um, I would sit in my meditation chair and then suddenly I'd be looking out at the forest and suddenly the only real thing was not the forest, but the space inside which the, the forest existed. It was like space was an armature that was allowing, or a screen that was allowing a three-dimensional projection of a forest, but the screen was the only thing that was real. Space was the only thing that was real, and space was the only part of me that was real. And then sometimes I'd feel like I had my back to this incredibly luminous nothingness, and it was so empty. I mean, I just remember thinking, it's so empty, but it wasn't, it was, it was, it was gorgeous and loving and beautiful. And I gazed into that freaking abyss. I have to tell you, I stared long and truly in, into the abyss and I found something that I don't think Friedrich knew. And with all humility, I'd like to add, if you smile into the abyss, the abyss smiles back at you. And if you love into the abyss, the abyss loves back at you. And if you create into the abyss, the abyss creates new things through you. And this is what I found after I finished my book. And it's why I'm doing my next little online thing um, that starts in June is about creativity, the creativity mindset. Because when you get to that clarity, here's what I found out. The void, which most of us fear the way Nietzsche did as a terrifying, empty wasteland where everything is emotionally terrible and you lose your mind. Um, it's not that. It's completely no thing, but it creates all things and it's waiting. It's like clay waiting for the potter's hands. It's like paint waiting for a paintbrush. It's like a canvas waiting to be painted on and it wants to be to, to create things. But one of the ways in which we can help it create things, and I don't know if there are other ways, I don't know, but I think I do know that human consciousness is able to look into the abyss, imagine things, and pull them into material reality. So I work insanely hard on paintings that they, they sometimes I just paint stuff that looks like it looks, okay, fine. But sometimes I get an idea of something that I've only experienced emotionally and, I'm, and I wanna paint it into existence or a beauty um, that I can't get from like a photograph. It seems to go beyond the photograph. And so I try to, I imagine an image that can express what I'm experiencing emotionally. And then I get what psychologists call the rage to master. 
And the rage to master is this intense desire to create. And it would almost be painful if it weren't so delicious. It's, it's right at that edge of difficulty where we secrete all that dopamine and it makes us like super duper happy and puts us in flow. But it's hard. Like pulling something into matter out of the abyss is it fills your whole mind. It fills your whole soul. It fills you emotionally, intellectually. It's just all your cogs are working at once and it's pure delight. We just had our first post-COVID um, guest uh, without masks and it was Liz Gilbert and she came over and we spent our time doing painting and, and reading each other our writing and she's just pure creativity, right? Like, and she's always making things. And the, the sheer delight, the, we kept asking our, each other the philosophical question, why not die now? <laughs> because even though we both enjoy life, all of us, my whole family and Liz enjoy life a lot, it also seems like um, death is a consummation devoutly to be wished. I mean, it's really, it's nice that there's an, an exit door and it's like, be so bad so why am I actually here like if you're obsessively spiritual and you come to believe in the reality of a spiritual plane and then you realize you're here and you're suffering it's like should I really stay on this bus given it's always terminal and the answer is yes and the reason the answer is yes Liz was saying she can't the only time when she feels like she must not die is when she's just finished writing something but she hasn't sent it to anyone like this thing wants to exist in the world. And she's like, I've got to get that manuscript. This plane must not crash because I have to send my manuscript to my agent. Once she sends it, it's like, I could die happy right now. And it was, it was really interesting because these are two things that most people don't talk about a lot. We're all going to die. And we're all continuously creating in this very intense, powerful way. And it seemed to come together that looking into the void and not being afraid of the nothingness means that it stops staring at you and begins to smile at you. And then it begins to love toward you. And then it begins to become and, and, and project into the visual, into the virtual reality screen, the best things we can imagine. I do think humans have, of all the species, and you know I love every animal there is, but of all the species on the planet right now, I think we are the ones that imagine the best. We are like high quality imaginers. We can't do beans else. We can't run or swim or climb like a lot of other animals, but we can imagine. And that imagination goes into the void. If we let it, if we sit quietly long enough and we accept the fact that this is temporary, this physical reality and we look into the void until we can smile at it and then until we can love into it then it starts to create through us and the feeling is exquisite and life becomes very bright and all we have left to do then is play with our friends so that's what I wanted to do today is play with you my friends and see what you guys think about like your encounters with the void, your encounters with creativity, how to handle um, I, the fact that everything is, is temporary in this physical plane and how to get more joy out of the creative process and out of life. Hello, the lovely peoples. 
This is Marty, Martha, inviting you to a free masterclass that I have made called Five Paths to Your Purpose. Probably the most common question I get from people is, how do I find my purpose? Why don't I feel that I'm on purpose? Well, it turns out there are certain things you have to do to find your purpose, and I broke them down into five, and I made a little masterclass about it. So if you'd like to see it, just go to marthabeck.com slash purpose and you will be able to watch it without any charge at all. Oh, Tracy says reading Whole Brain Living is so illuminating. Thank you, Martha. You have the best recommendations. Yes, Jill Taylor, beautiful, lovely woman. Also this one, Seth Godin's The Practice. These are all things I've been reading because we got this creativity workshop coming up. And that all the exercises I'm doing from both of them are like, boom, I'm right in the void. Massive amounts of creative energy. It's super fun. So I'm really glad you like that. Courtney says, how to deal with the fear of getting bigger and creating change. Yeah, getting bigger and creating colon change. That is a very valid question because if you start to look creatively into the void, the world will begin to want you to share. This is another conversation we had this week. I was painting this picture and I'm struggling with it. I've thrown away two versions of it and I, I, I'm really wrestling this, with this. I hope this one works. And um, Liz said, she pointed at it and she said, if I could do that, Everyone would know. I would print out pamphlets and go through the streets of Manhattan, passing it out, going, look, I made this. And I thought that is one of the reasons she is so appealing. She's incredibly humble. And she lifts other people and promotes other people far more than she does herself. But damn, she knows when she's made something beautiful. And she is not shy about sharing it. And the bigness. It's rare to see someone who is completely good and so big at the same time and energetically. And, you know, read her books, read her, you know, follow her on whatever she's on because just to see someone patterning that is a really good way to stop being afraid of the void. And, and because bigness comes with it. The void is as big as the universe. When Jill Taylor was out of the left side of her brain and into the right side, she experienced herself as precisely the size of the universe because there is no boundary um, in the right side. It doesn't see physicality as, as bounded. It sees it as a wave function, which is what quantum mechanics tells us it is. So yeah, the bigness of it is terrifying at first. And all I can say is, um, <laughs> I love the phrase, there is no difference between acting brave and being brave. And if you just act brave when you face the void, if you decide that you're going to project something and it starts to get big and you say, you know what, I'm scared of being this big, but I'm gonna pretend I'm not scared. I'm gonna act brave. Acting brave becomes being brave. It's not the same with other virtues, but that one, I very much encourage you to act brave until you are brave. There's no difference. Uh, Sally says it's fascinating, especially in the context of just having read The Midnight Library. How does Martha choose the best book for herself, the best version of her future? Oh, Sally, that is such a beautiful way to put it. Because the, the book you set out to read for the next few hours is going to be the future of the next few hours. And it's going to it's going to influence the future going forward. And that's what The Midnight Library is actually about, is all the different potential lives we have based on our choices. The way I pick it, a uh, way I pick books, 
recommendations from friends and then I just I loves me the Google I just go in and I'd go to different like newspapers New York Times Washington Post um, what is it in London Times uh, or the Daily Mirror or something I go to all the biggest newspapers and I say what are the 10 best books the Guardian 10 best books of 2021 10 best books of 2020 10 best books of 2019 and it doesn't always give me a book that I think was the best book of that year, but it often comes along with um, uh, other books that are similar. And if you go down those lines, people have done the work for you. It's wonderful. That's, that's another amazing thing is we're all in the void together creating. And you can feel when it, creative people get together and start sharing whom, the, the presence of the void, which is completely empty and yet completely filled with light and happiness and love, gets so tangible. So that's one reason I love being with you people. Teresa says, what if you desire to have these experiences, but no matter what you do, they don't happen? This is, some people are prone this way. And there's a really, there's a famous story about um, the Buddha telling his disciples that this man was completely enlightened. And they said, but we're having visions and seeing angels and whatnot, and he never does. And the Buddha said, well, you misunderstand because the angels and the visions aren't what it's about. He knows the end of suffering and he knows that suffering comes from the illusions he holds in his mind and he has cleared his mind of illusion and his joy is complete. You know, he's gone to the other side of suffering. Whereas a lot of people like Friedrich Nietzsche uh, see things that are, they, he had a lot of spectacular experiences. He thought he was crucified at great length by German doctors. Um, and that the Pope should be shot. He had a lot of interesting visions, but that doesn't mean he was happy. So the only experience you really need is to end suffering and enter joy. That often comes with bells and whistles, like it does, it just does for me. I think it's genetic. And um, if it doesn't, I just say, keep, keep going. Maybe you'll get that as a gift. And if you don't, you will still get bliss beyond imagining and joy without that that sustains you through everything and actually the bells and whistles are nothing compared to that okay donna says i'm stuck in the awful fear of dying and desperately want to experience the creativity of life how does one not get stuck in that fear especially when going through the uncertainty of illness yeah i had so many mystery illnesses uh, um especially when i was in my 20s and 30s, early 30s, and I never knew what it was, but um, a lot of the potential diagnoses were really scary. And so ultimately, I was always thinking, will this kill me? Will this kill me? And I realized, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have some good experiences in this life, and I'm going to have some bad experiences, and I'm going to live through all but one. So that one is going to come no matter if I'm afraid of it or unafraid, no matter if I go toward it or run away, it's coming. But it's only that one thing I'm not gonna live through, so I might as well live through the rest. So confronting the fear of death, and this is what was so interesting about um, our, the conversations we were having with Liz, um, all of us there, well, Karen, my beloved Karen said, no, I've never actually thought about death as a wonderful avenue of, of exit at the end of life. But all the rest of us had. We were like, no, it's 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 the comforter. It's sleep after a hard day's work. 
So if you can go in and work with your fear of dying, again, the Buddhist way would be to say the fear of dying itself is an illusion. And you're staring into the void with fear. And so the void stares back at you fearsomely, right? And you look into death with fear and death looks back at you and it terrifies you. And most of us do. But by facing, uh, Eckhart Tolle said it best, the, the secret to life is to die before you die and so to learn that there is no death. So there is birth and there is death and one enters the flow of life and one leaves the flow of life but life is the field through which they travel and it has no opposite. So if you can ponder on that then you can start to relax into, not into don't worry you're not going to die but yeah you're going to die, now relax. I know that sounds really paradoxical and that's what this whole search is about. This is why I want to come together with folks like you because we're the ones who think about it a lot and we're the ones who want to understand what our place is given that it's not permanent. And and actually the contemplation, this is why in, in some, a lot of different orders of uh, religious mysticism, they'll go to funerals or sit with bodies until they're not afraid and then they can enjoy their lives because they're no longer afraid of death. Alexa says, how do I know the difference between the void versus the void and dark pain of trauma? The void isn't darkly painful. Trauma creates the illusion that all of life is hostile and that all of life will cause you pain. If that's what you believe, then when you look into the void, that's what you create. The reality, it's you're projecting the virtual reality goggles. It's as if you get to program the goggles and they're programmed with what you imagine and what you deeply believe. And if what you deeply believe is painful, you will project that into your virtual reality goggles and the world will look that way to you. It will. And that's, you know, I really encourage you. The best information that I could get you guys was to, sorry, you people, is in my last book. I mean, I think I'm going to write another one on creativity now, but the integrity piece is huge because when you start to examine the things that cause you suffering, they always turn out to be illusion. They always turn out to be false. And that's where you come out of trauma. And you also need professional help and, and a trained therapist. So get both. But remember that it's the illusion that makes life terrifying. It's not even the experience of trauma, it's the illusion it leaves in the mind. So if you can change that, and we can all change our minds, you're good. Pam, hi Pam. Pam says, can you play with the void while being 100% the self you seem to be here on earth, or must you lose some or all of that self? I think you have to lose the part of yourself that is suffering. I think you have to lose the part of yourself that is wrapped up in ego that needs to be approved of because not everyone's going to approve of you. The one that desperately wants power, desperately wants control. And it could be control of the whole world, the whole country, or just control over your children, you know, any part, or control over yourself. The obsession with control has to die. Um, I've talked before, I mean, uh, Jill's book, Jill Bolte-Taylor's book, Whole Brain Living that I just showed you, is my latest brain favorite about how part of the brain kind of has to shut down for the other part to light up and give you the experience of life as joy. But there's another book called How Enlightenment Changes the Brain by Andrew Newberg, who's a really brilliant neurobiologist. 
And he talks about how the parts of the brain that are obsessed with control and obsessed with a clearly defined identity have to go silent in order to experience the joy and delight and universality of the enlightened state, which is a real state, um, physically measurable. So can you be 100% the self you seem to be here on earth? Not the bad parts, <laughs> not any part that's resting on, a, on something that's not true. And of course, that's not really you. I believe that when you die, you become who you really have been all along because you lose a lot of those illusions, but you can lose them before you die. And that means that you're in the, the void that is the light and the void that is joy and the void that is creativity um, and still be in a physical body. And I think this is what our, after our weekend of discussion, we decided that is the whole point. Marianne says, what rituals do you use for helping you get into the creative consciousness? Oh yes, we're gonna talk about some of those in, our, um, in the course that I'm teaching from June to August. And uh, I will tell you the simplest one is that I have one chair. I've, I've conditioned my body into something called state-dependent memory. So I have one meditation chair. I put it in one place, I have one blanket. The feel of that blanket, the position of the chair, the feel of that chair in my back, on my back, is now connected over and over and over and over again with dropping into meditation. So even though a lot of my meditations are not good and I don't get my mind quiet, a lot of them do result in quiet. And that means that every time I sit down in that chair in that way, that ritual triggers the brain into a state-dependent memory and it goes into that. It's more likely to go into that quiet place. Um, Morgan says, what's a good medium to start with for creativity? Whatever fascinates you. If you like scroll through the internet or go for a walk in town or in nature and see what lights you up. And if it's somebody doing ceramics or if it's somebody making a canoe or whatever it is, um, the medium that you choose comes from your true self, your true north. This is going to be in Practical Wayfinding. The Creativity Mindset. And you can go to MarthaBeck.com and you can find out all about it because we... Oh, reservation, reservations close this week. Registration closes this week. I'm staring into the void and the void is yelling instructions. <laughs> you can hear it laughing. Two more questions. Elise says, for those of us who haven't had these experiences, how would you guide us into creating these experiences? We'll come and see. I meditate a few times a week and work towards sitting in my stillness, but would love some more insights. I really think art exists as the way in. So get a playlist of the songs that transport you or the music that transports you. Look at the, the work of artists that have seen in something in the void that you would never have seen. Uh, read the poetry, read Stephen Mitchell's translations of Rilke and uh, get the anti-Nietzsche going in your heart. Art, will art from others will take you into art for yourself and that really is the way the soul expresses itself through us. And finally, Rachel says, how do I get over the vulnerability of exposing myself on social media in order to build my business? Um, I said a few minutes ago that if people think I'm crazy after they watch this, I lovingly and respectfully do not care. And I really don't. And that comes from years of being in the public eye and having people say really, really, really negative things about me on many occasions. And at first I cared and I tried to control their opinions. I can't even control my own opinions. 
So I finally learned to lovingly, respectfully do not care and just say those words, I lovingly do not care, and then go play with your friends because they will t teach you who you really are. And play is the way that every creation comes to, every beautiful creation comes to pass. So thank you for playing with me, everyone here. I love you so much. I'll see you next week on The Gathering or at Practical Wayfinding too. That would be fun. Bye. For almost 30 years, I've been teaching people to do something that I call reading your internal compasses. I believe we are all born with direction-finding mechanisms that are inherent in us and will help us find our best destiny. Uh, a few years ago, though, I realized that a lot of people were getting very, very anxious. And this is true. Anxiety is going nuts all over the planet. So I spent five years researching and writing a book about how to read your compasses and lower the anxiety that's getting between you and your right life. And I'm very excited about the book. It's coming out in 2025. But I would love to teach you about it before the book comes out. So this summer, I'm doing a course called The Wayfinder's Compass, Moving Beyond Anxiety. And you can check it out by going to marthabeck.com slash compass. And we will have a fabulous time putting you on course for your North Star. It's a bewildering moment to be alive. That's why Martha Beck, me, and Rowan Mangan, me, created Bewildered, the wildly successful podcast for people trying to figure it out. Most of us are trying to fit society's expectations about how we should live, which is stressful and confusing. On Bewildered, we look at topics like perfectionism, what it means to have enough, anxiety, and creativity to see where the culture may be pushing us all away from the lives that truly fulfill us. If you're bewildered, if you want to think and you love to laugh, come join us. 